be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. This program will provide the groundwork you need to advance your awareness and be involved in the approaching transformation in consciousness. Now, your host, Peter Tung. Hello and welcome to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. And I'm your host, Peter Tung. Thank you for joining us today. The intention in these episodes is to give you insights into how the planet is shifting in frequency and vibration to a new level of awareness and how you can be part of this grand awakening. And I'm so delighted today to welcome to the show Celia Gunn, who has had a really, really interesting experience with the First Nations people of Western Canada and through her experiences has really opened up her own spirit to connect with uh, all the other realms and uh, really becoming connected with the earth and the land. And Celia, I'm really interested uh, to hear your story, so welcome to the show. Thank you. Hello. So perhaps we could begin by just, by just getting a little bit of background about how you first got involved with the First Nations of the Sunnites tribe in Western Canada. Um, yes, well, it I've, I've, I'm English, as you can probably hear, and um, I've always loved Indians ever since I was a little girl and used to play those famous games. But um, it wasn't until I'd lived in Canada for 13 years that I first came into contact with any and then remembered my childhood love. And it was the year 1987, which um, some of you will probably recognize as the year of the harmonic convergence, according to Jose Aguila's interpretation of the Mayan count. And that was the year that we, collectively, we were supposed to get some kind of spiritual boot up the backside to wake up. And indeed, that's kind of what happened to me because this is when I came into contact with um, two visionary elders, one Cree and then the other one, Mr. Nykst, um visionary journeyer is the best way to describe him, who drew me into the situation of his people, Mr. Nykst. Um, it was at a gathering in um, British Columbia at Edgewood, near the Arrow Lakes, and that's kind of central, southern central British Columbia. It, um, practically, it is the Kootenai region, really. And um, I'd been attracted to this gathering as part of this kind of feeling that I must somehow 
find something more than the life I'd been living to that point, that there was something more than, you know, having a, having kids and having a family. I mean, that's great in itself, but there was something more than just the material. I, I needed to go deeper or find something with more meaning. And that's what took me to this gathering where I met, well, where I had this extraordinary encounter with these two Indians and also had a very, very powerful dream in which um, I was in the dream I was actually given a drum and told by this elder in my dream to call the people. And I had no idea what this might mean at all. But within about three months of that date, um, my life just utterly changed. And I was spirited out from where I was living, which was in Vernon in the Okanagan region of British Columbia, and into the heart of the ancestral land of the Snipes people, to live actually right next to a, um, about three, 4,000-year-old ancient settlement and burial ground from which um, ancestral remains had been taken during an archaeological dig in the early 1980s. And what followed really was quite extraordinary because I look on it now as looking at, back from all this time um, is that the ancestors called their descendants home. There was no Native American presence in that region of the West Kootenays. And you could feel it. I mean, I've never given that much thought of it, but, you know, when I was living in the Okanagan, I saw Native people around and um, never met any. But here there were none. And I wasn't the only person. Many people felt like that. I would say people with this kind of sensibility were aware there was a lack of indigenous presence and what I then subsequently learned was that this tribe, the Sinaiks, had been declared extinct by the Canadian government in the 1950s. Then there was this um, archaeological dig, which um, meant some of the ancestors having remains being taken off to the Provincial Museum in Victoria. And eventually, word of this reached the ears of surviving members of the Sinaiks who actually had been coerced down onto a reservation in Washington State, the Colville Confederated Reservation, where they were sort of shoved together with 12 other tribes who refused to make treaties. And they were literally, of course, just the survivors of all the, you know, the great dying, the time of all the disease and then further encroachment by settlers and so on. And... Um, they, they heard about ancestors having been taken off to the museum, and to them this was anathema to their cultural belief because for them the bones must return to dust in the dust from which they sprang. Otherwise the soul is like, disconnected and it can't continue on its spiritual path and it wanders like a ghost, sort of lost. Well, all of this, when I be began to learn about this, just blew my mind, really, because I'd never given much thought to connection to the land and your birthright as your connection to the land and what it means to be made of this land rather than this land over there or that land over here, to come from it. And I'd never even given much thought to what would happen to a body after it dies. You know, you kind of think, it's, you know, in our culture in the West, we look at, at the body very much like a shell and it's just something to be discarded. And I began to change my mind about that, too, because I began to realize that if it were not for the body, 
where would spirit reside? And yet, of course, without spirit, there's nothing to animate the body. So really, they have an equal, um, um, they need an equal degree of respect. So understanding that these people believed that their um, bones need to return the, to the dust from which they sprang, I, I fully believe that they ought to be respected in their beliefs and the bones should be brought back for reburial. And this is what brought me in because I felt such a huge sense of outrage at something I'd never given thought to before and it took me quite a while to work out why I felt this outrage. It was combined with respect for others' beliefs. But it also was, what is the body? What is this thing that we walk around in and we, you know, enliven? Is it just a a cage of bones with a label on it, you know, and the spirit is something that comes and goes from it, or perhaps it's worthy of more respect and more care and more love than we tend to um, give it. You know, many, many, um, our own Christian tradition had self-flagellation and all of these things to deny the um, natural impulses of the body and actually, um, and looked upon them I mean, the whole attitude to women for the last 6,000 years reflects the same sort of thing. And I think that for me, it was a whole beginning to come back into balance of understanding the, the relationship between body and spirit. And of course, once I then became more deeply involved with these Indians and began to be part of their return to their heritage, return to their ancestral land, I mean, some of them didn't even know why they were called what they were called because they were so... I mean, almost 100 years had passed since they'd been pushed down onto the reservation. And with the creation of the border, the international boundary in the 1840s, they had not been allowed to cross back into their ancestral land. Sort of two-thirds lies in British Columbia, one-third of it in Washington State. But they were not allowed to come back into the upper two-thirds because of the, um, the whole restriction on the border of American Indians coming into Canada, which doesn't work the other way around. Canadian Indians can go into America and live and work there as if there were no border, but it doesn't work the other way around. So for the next um, six years, I was involved in what I would best term cultural preservation work with these Indians, which was to help them um, get back these bones. And of course, I had no idea what I was getting involved in and the politics of bones, but they did become the first first Indians to ask for remains to be returned for reburial, and now are still in occupation of that ancient village site for now 20, 22, 23 years, um, trying, they're struggling, and they're in the courts, in, actually in, in, in provincial courts in Vancouver right now, as part of that struggle of trying to get the recognition of, of their right to be consulted about what happens in their ancestral land because they are really trying to take up their role as stewards of the land, and at the moment they're trying to prevent logging happening in first-growth forest. And the, the reason all of this really was um, so vital to me, I mean, I wrote a book about my experiences, and um, it was with the writing of the book that I really began to see and have the insight into how this whole experience utterly changed my life and really helped me be start to become, as the Indians said themselves, you're, 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 you're becoming the person the Creator meant you to be in this life. 
So, so this is a, a really, if I miss interrupt for a second, this is a really yeah, important sure. point because mm-hmm. 1987, harmonic convergence, mm-hmm. in my experience in the last few years, it's been clear that it really was a boot, a boot up the backside to get people mm-hmm. moving on their spiritual journey, their spiritual path. And mm-hmm. a lot of people woke up at that time in a whole variety of different ways. Mm-hmm. And so in your mm-hmm. intention of, of helping here uh, with, with the group, you actually went through your own transformation as a result of, of your association with the Sinaixed people. But, but also, I guess, so they actually were American and were now operating or wanting to operate in Canada, which must have created some massive uh, uh, political situations. Absolutely. So we're actually coming up to our first break, Celia. So what I'm going to do mm-hmm. is ask you when we return to just uh, explain a little bit about the border challenges that must exist and, and how the repatriation of the bones has, has continued and, and how, in fact, all of this impacted you in your own uh, spiritual transformation. Yes, this great. is uh, yeah. Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Are you looking to discover who you really are? Do you want to know your true self and your soul purpose? Tune in to Sacred Light Wisdom with your host, Seti Nave. Let Seti be your guide to be self-empowered and learn about the magical arts. SETI's guests are made up of practitioners, teachers, and life-minded people who are interested in more than just going through the motions. You will learn to manifest your dreams when you tune in to Sacred Light Wisdom, Tuesdays at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific, on 7th Wave Network. Explore the infinite possibilities of the unknown. Learn about the mysterious and mythical realms through time and space. Realize your inner truth. Tune in to Spirit Walker with Dr. Jeffrey Pierce and co-host Cindy Pierce. Dr. Pierce is a true intuitive. He is legally blind, uses no cards, pendulums, or guides, and has been found to have 97% consistent accuracy based on testing by the United Kingdom Institute of Psychic Sciences Research Center. Listen for topics that others are afraid to address on Spirit Walker, Wednesday at 1 p.m. East, 10 a.m. West on 7th Wave Network. The new home for visionary positive change. 7th Wave Network. You're listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. 
Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. I'd just like to take this opportunity of thanking one of our sponsors, thenaturedoctor.com, new nutritional products for conscious living. Please click on the banner on my host page or go to www.thenaturedoctor.com. Having a fascinating discussion with Celia Gunn about the repatriation of the bones of the Sunnites tribe of the Western Kootenays who uh, were removed from their land down into the States. And uh, just before the break, I was asking you, Celia, about this must have created some real challenges uh, around border issues with the United States and Canada. Well, yes, um, the whole signing of the border, of course, we have to realize, you know, that all the native peoples originally before European contact had their, their areas, their territories, but there was not this sort of great dividing line going right across the middle of a continent. And, I mean, this is all obvious stuff, but um, the, when the archaeological dig in the early 80s first happened in their ancestral land in Canada, the, there was knowledge that there were several hundred remaining surviving um, people, although they'd been declared extinct. There were still several hundred um, on this reservation, the Colville Confederated Reservation in Washington State. And the archaeologist wished to contact them to tell them about what was happening on their, on their land, but he was denied permission because, as the authorities said, they did not want to create an international incident. So here you have one, you know, big, we'll quietly dig away here and not let them know because we don't want there to be in any fracas on the U.S. side. Then when the, um, they started coming up, at first it was fine, they would come up and be in their ancestral land. But once the issue of reclaiming the ancestors for repatriation came to the government's attention, suddenly these native people were refused permission to cross the border into Canada, which, of course, Canada has the right to do. It can refuse anybody it likes who's not a Canadian. You know, it doesn't have to even give a reason. So more and more of these native people were refused permission to come in, were not allowed to cross the border to come into their ancestral land. So they took up occupation, a, very, a number of them took up occupation of this ancestral site, which has been set aside as a heritage park. So the government did keep something sacred <laughs> and, um, and, and took up occupation. And they are there to this day. And they are actually knitting themselves back into the community and joining into the community. I mean, the Slocan Valley, this is in British Columbia, which is quite notorious for... Um, political issues and for standing up for their rights. So now they are joined together to, to stop logging. They already have stopped um, potential uranium mining in the area. So they are really, you know, taking up their role. But again, the problem is if they go down to visit their families on the reservation, which of course, you know, the native people are very strong on family and community, but they create problems because there's a danger they won't get back in if they go down. So a lot of them have made a big sacrifice and dedicated, committed their lives to coming out of extinction and again being a presence in their ancestral land at great personal and you know familial cost. It's, 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 it's a very sad situation in a way, and the government is totally sticking its heels in because the courts have recognized them as an existing people now, but the government still refuses to do so. And the, the, to my understanding, the importance of this is, is, is very, very profound because they are actually 
the mother tribe. So these are an interior Salishan people who are the mother tribe of the region. And the mother tribe traditionally is the tribe to which neighboring tribes who have a relationship with them, and, and there's quite a large area we're talking about here if you look at the Salishan spread, um, when they can't resolve a problem within their own nation, they would take their problem to the Sinaix people for arbitration. And as their head man told me, he said, not that we have to do that much, he said, we'd have to sit there and listen to them telling us their problems. And by the time they'd explained the whole situation to, to, to us, they'd pretty well worked out what they needed to do about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but but the, the, the thing is here that if you take, and I'm not saying this was consciously done, I don't understand, of course, what level this was happening at, but if you take out the mother tribe from an area and leave a vacuum, it's like taking out the center. It's like, and, then, and this is where I kind of um, link it through to Tibet and China, what China has done to its spiritual heart, what China has done to Tibet and the Tibetans, is the sort of similar scenario in exiling their spiritual heart, if you see what I mean. So if you take the center out of the people, the spiritual heart out of the people, what then happens? Then you get this huge, perhaps, um, you know, um, this is my own, my own opinion, this is, you get this huge sort of, sort of surge into materiality, into, physical, into the physical plane, because you've lost your, your spiritual heart. And so then you get this big material you know, um, kind of grasp. And if you think what's very much happening in Canada in terms of oh, that famous term, resource extraction, I mean, it's such a shame what's happening. There's so much beauty in the land. There's so much first consciousness in the land. There's so much, you know, um, we have to learn from the land. The land has so much to teach us. But if we go in willy-nilly and just destroy it, it's ourselves we're destroying. But when you've lost your heart, your spiritual heart, you, how can you know that? So for me, the Sinaiks coming back officially into existence is a human rights level on one level, but it's a far more profound right as well in terms of our spiritual journey as human beings. If you see what I'm saying. Talking about uh, spiritual journeys as, as human beings, I'd love you to tell us about how this experience with the Sinaiks peoples uh, affected you and your, and, and your own spiritual journey. Well, I began to realize that here they are coming back into their ancestral land, and I saw the importance of the land to the people, the vitality it gave them, all the while thinking, what the heck am I doing here then? Blonde hair, blue-eyed English woman, far away from, you know, a continent and an ocean away from her own land, and this is not her people. And although I was treated so wonderfully, I was taken under the wing of elders, and I just loved being with these people, I had this sense that I would have to go back to England at some point. I couldn't imagine what would make me go back, though, because I was so happy. But after this six years, sure enough, a man appears in my life. <laughs> and that man is an Englishman, quite, you know, beautifully met. While I was visiting my mother back in England, I meet this man who is from my own neck of the woods in England, even, and it's very clear from a whole multitude of signs that I have to go back to England to be with this man. So I, at the same time, the whole thing I was involved with at the Snikes went really terribly political. 
I mean, as soon as you become involved with Indians, you become a political issue because they are so politicized. And so it was almost like at the same moment as I, I met this Englishman who was clear I was destined to be with. I mean, you know, I'm very blessed to have found my twin flame. That the Indian thing was drawing to a close for me. And I had a very good friend um, who, who was very clear. She said, this stepping stone is now done. You have now gathered all the clues you need for what is the next part of your journey. Get back to your England and get on with it. In fact, he, she told me, you're going to go back and blast open the northern gateway. And to, to this day, I don't know what she means, but it was very exciting. And I thought, I'll go for that. <laughs> And um, and sure enough, I come back and I'm with a man who I actually call my stars and stones man because his great gift is sacred geography, to put it in a nutshell. He works with landscape zodiacs. He works with stars and the stones. He works with the relationship of the heavens and earth. This is very much reflected on our website, which I invite anybody to visit and have a look at, earthskywalk.com. And then I see how... Our purpose together, our work together, is to help reconnect people to the land, to revitalize that deep connection to the land and to our tradition, to our ancestors, and awake, reawaken something in ourselves that we've kind of forgotten in the mad scramble for material goods, something much deeper and something eternal. And... Having now spent all this time with the Indians and been so involved and witnessed to and experiencing so much of their, you know, their traditional teachings and their traditional wisdom, I mean, I was on a shamanic journey. It was not an easy time that six years. I was put through a mill myself in a way because I had to, I had so much of myself had to be stripped away and sort of, you know, back to the original blueprint that, you know, I was born to on this earth and, and my purpose. And so along the way, I glean all these clues of how to live in the world in a much more conscientious way, how to see and how to hear with sort of different eyes and different ears, you know, how to see how we're always receiving guidance, for example. There's message and meaning in everything. Things don't just happen. It isn't just chance. Even that word coincidence we use, you know, which is coinciding, it's happening together. We seem to think that's chance too. No, it's not. It's all, it's all sort of got meaning and it's all got purpose. And that purpose is to help you enjoy this world and live in this world in a happy way, in a joyful way and balanced, harmonious way. Because as the Indians themselves would say, Creator put all this here, all this beauty here for us to enjoy. He only wants us to be happy. So is that the is that the vital piece that comes through from your experience in the traditional Native American wisdom? I would say that's it in a nutshell, except that it's 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 like a multifaceted nutshell because there's all these how how do you do that? How do you do find that way that knowing that you know the great especially I think in North America, you know, the right to happiness and you pursue happiness. No, you don't it's it's not a right. It's well, it is your right. It is your birthright, actually. But it's not to be pursued. It is something to be lived, and it's all to do with just having this attitude that we have, um, the, our attitudes which we have sort of taken on like a cloak from cultural and social conditioning. We have to shift 
the attitude and 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 find the balance in, in in the way to work. I think the Navajo have a very beautiful way of doing it. They say that the world is in harmony. The world, is, I mean, the earth, Mother Earth is in harmony. Nature is in harmony, and man's place, man's duty, man's work, woman's as well, is to find her his place in that harmony. Not to go in, rip up the ground, chop down the trees, but find her or his place within that harmony, because everything already is, and it may take a lifetime to find your place in that harmony, but you do, you find your place. It's, the life is like a song, and you learn your part in the song, or a dance, and you learn your dance in life. And there's all kinds of ways. I think, I think the traditional Native American teachings did more to help me find that peacefulness in, in myself. I told you about message and meaning and everything. Another one is that lovely expression, Indian time, in time, on time, when you can get such peace of mind, knowing that you are where you're supposed to be. Everything's happening as it's supposed to happen. You didn't get that car you were going after. It wasn't the right car or that job or so on. The next one is around the corner is the right one. And to, to cultivate that kind of attitude of 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 releasing the fear and and the worry and the concern that things aren't going right, you know? So, Celia, we're coming up to our second break, and it's a wonderful way to finish this segment. This is Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Taking you to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. We all want peace. We all desire a more meaningful life. We work hard to achieve these things, but at what avail? The key is authentic living with Andrea Matthews. Andrea will interview some of the great spiritual experts of today and will provide wisdom to help you raise your consciousness to the level of your own I am. Your authenticity can give you miraculous gifts, but you have to know how to get there. Listen for Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Heard live every Wednesday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the 7th Wave Network. Wondering what the heck is going on on planet Earth? Feeling time speeding up but your energy slowing down? Then there are those strange physical symptoms, sudden life and career shifts, a sense of loss of identity or purpose. As we rapidly move into a new dimension, the old structures are falling away. How will we navigate what is new? After all, the Ascension doesn't come with an instruction manual. Hillary Harris hosts Ascension 360, Navigating the New World Energies, airing live Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave Network. Ascension 360. Tune in to see how it all turns out. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenterJourney.com for more information. Listening on a Higher Dimension. 7th Wave Network.
listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program. Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. I just want to remind you all that our Love, Laugh, Learn teleseminar series begins this evening at 5.30 West Coast time. We had a tremendous response to our free televent last Wednesday, and that can still be accessed and listened to with Swami Biondananda on top form with his uh, cosmic comedy, and Dr. Len Lasko with myself, um, taking a journey through the seven chakras. And it was interesting, before the break, Celia was talking about going through what I would call the shamanic death of letting everything else go until you return right back to the core of who you are so that you can rebuild yourself in a new way in the future. And tonight we are talking about the first chakra and the calcination process, which is exactly that process that takes us back to the core of who we really are so that we can start living our life in the way that we came here to do as our highest self calls us to awaken to our uh, spiritual path. So, Celia, let's just uh, just conclude our chats about the Sinaiq's people with with perhaps telling us a bit about the current situation. Um, Yes, it's quite a a powerful story in that um, they have been, they have an excellent lawyer who's actually the son of one of the lawyers who represented Nelson Mandela, and he's taken on their situation, their case pro bono, because he has he understands on all levels the importance of their existing again, as it were. And um, so logging was due to happen in the heart of their ancestral land, and this is first growth logging. I mean, there's not all that much first growth left, and it's it's a it's holy a holy place. It's sacred. Like you, you can feel it when you're in there. It's a place where you feel like you hold you must hold your breath. So this was um, finally sold by BCTS, that's British Columbia Timber Sales, who manage it for the government, Crown Land for the government, and, um, and bought it by a local, a local logging company. Logging was due to start, but in British Columbia, at least, there is a, um, a, a code where the native people of the area, the indigenous nation of the area, has to be consulted about any logging or mining. But nobody was consulting the Sinaiks. And why? Because they're extinct. So they blockaded the logging road, asking to be consulted about this. And this case heated up. The the logging company applied for an injunction to remove the Indians, but the judge said no. They need to be um, they need to be heard. So now they have just spent just last week a week in court in British Columbia, um, fighting for their right to be consulted. And it's a very important case because if the decision isn't hasn't come down yet, but um, if it comes down on their right to be consulted, the government will now have, have to admit they exist. And this has been the whole, um, you know, thorn in the government side. They keep looking the other way, and hopefully, with this decision, will now force them to pay attention and to do the right thing. And I think, and and people can help them in this. Um, there is um, some likes. Nation. If you um, do a search on that on Facebook, they have a page. Just, just and spell all that the for us. Spell that for us, Celia. Can you hear the names? S- yes. 
S, the name Synix is S I N I X T Nation. So there's a Facebook page where the whole ongoing story is up there, and if you are able to support them in any way, they would be very, very grateful. And um, there's also a Facebook page for my book, A Twist in Coyote's Tale, has its own Facebook page, and I also put up their information and anything else to do with their great ongoing saga. And A Twist in Coyote's Tale was, was a book that you wrote about your experiences throughout this time. That's right. That's, the book is um, was covering the six years that I was involved with the Indians. So from that very first dream where I first met the elder, the visionary elder, right until the time I um, went, came back to England. So it covers the six years. It's a beautiful book, beautifully presented, and all pretty well all of well, no, I would say all of the wisdom that I gained is in that book. I mean, it's a story of a people coming home to their ancestral land and their identity and their heritage. But at the same time, it's the story of one woman's journey of coming home to herself. So it's just sort of all woven together. All the incredible magic and mystery that I witnessed of their tradition and that I even took part in sometimes um, is all in there. And my growing understanding of who I am and what happened to me and how to move into becoming more of a true human being, really. And part of that growing uh, was, was connecting or gaining an understanding of animal spirit guides. Tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Oh, I think this is one of my favorite subjects. <laughs> um, I was told about the tradition by an elder, and in their language it's, it's known as um, sumix. And he told me at some point in a conversation, your sumix will help you on your path when you truly know how to see, when you truly learn how to listen. I had no idea what he was talking about. I didn't know what sumix could be. And I didn't ask, because I never asked the Indians questions. I had a sort of instinct not to sort of push them for anything. I knew I would learn if I, if I needed to. I'd find out. And then, not long after that, I had... It sounds crazy, but I actually had a grand vision of clouds in the sky, not the shape of a cloud, an actual sort of great head in the cloud, and this was a wolf head. I had no idea what I was seeing here, and el another elder told me that, um, oh, yes, I'm, his name was Grey Wolf. He says, I'm always looking over you, and I always look after you. Perhaps you'd like to move in with me. No, I thought. <laughs> but he wasn't that long because it wasn't long before I began to understand that this word sumic and then this great wolf's head in the cloud that was shown to me at a time when I was under huge stress and I had cried out in the forest, please help me, I don't know what to do. Then I see this great head in the cloud. This is how it works with totem animals. It's not until you begin to ask for help that that the spirit guides can actually help you. They have apparently this universal law of not being able to interfere. They can only wait for you to ask. So I began to understand that this was my life totem. And from there, I began to see how when an animal crosses your path in a special way, somehow catches your attention, not you know just any old time because we see them all the time, but sometimes something, an animal stops, a fox stops, comes out from the undergrowth, looks you in the eye. Fox has got a message for you. So then you go on your search and find out 
the sort of key quality of fox or the messages it's carrying for you. Might be a bird, might be an insect, might be a reptile, a fish, any creature. Could be a plant. Could even be your car or even your computer. <laughs> the thing is about interpreting. If you look at the symbolic meaning of whatever has appeared to you, I mean, if, if you take, for example, something as mundane as your car, yes, your car has spirit. You know that. So how many people give their cars a pat after a journey, you know, and say, thank you. Um, I do, anyway. Um, but if you look at the part of the car that's broken down and then you translate it symbolically into your life, I mean, a very straightforward one would be brakes. You know, if something's wrong with your brakes, perhaps you're being told you're going too fast. Slow down. Be careful. And um, look at carburetors or whatever. If you're... If your computer chokes up, you know, what's going on with you? Are you feeling really anxious and stressed? You know, your computer sort of shuts down or freezes. It's going to reflect something for you. So take a step back, take a deep breath, count to 10, and now start to look at what this might be showing you. And this is the way we are guided in our lives. I now do, um, I had a book on um, on totem animals called Simply Totem Animals, which came out just late last year. And I now do workshops in England. And people here are, are really hungry for this kind of reconnection to nature is the best way I could describe it, really. And that's really my role in what I do now with my husband, Anthony, in the landscape. You know, we go out on, on pilgrimages, on sacred walks. These are old trackways that we've researched and revitalized. And I'm talking about pilgrimage, pilgrimage not in the Christian sense, but just in the sense of a, a sacred journey. I mean, it's all sacred, really, you know, but here's a spiritual focus. And, um, and, and I very much compare a pilgrimage, a sacred journey like this, to the sweat lodge, because both have the potential to bring up something in yourself that needs to be aired or addressed or, or some issue that is sort of got to come up to the surface to be, you know, like skimmed off like froth or, or, or looked at, because both of these experiences, the sweat lodge and the pilgrimage, you know, a long journey where you're carrying your food and the, maybe it's just pouring with rain and it's the last thing you want to be doing and you're starting to get angry. So then you start to look at all of these motions coming up and, and then begin to look at them in a new way. Why am I angry? It's only wet. It's only cold. These are neutral things. And then you start to get in touch with the places in yourself that are out of balance. I mean, there's nothing wrong with anger as long as it's not out of balance. You know, anger is our great fire, our passion. It's only when it becomes unbalanced that it becomes a problem for us. So um, we'll, we'll return to the discussion about the landscape and how, and how that can help us in terms of our own mm -hmm. journey. But we, mm -hmm. we, we have an incredible, we talked about coincidence uh, and synchronicity earlier, we have an incredible connection we've discovered through Catherine Maltwood, and we'll talk about perhaps the Glastonbury Zodiac in the last segment. But one of the, uh, well, no, the animal totem that keeps recurring for us in our studies of Catherine Maltwood here in uh, Canada is the owl. And in fact, at my meditation group on, on Monday, just before we began, as we arrived, uh, the owl landed in a tree right outside the, the mm -hmm. building. And as you say, some things are just, you know, life, and other things clearly there's there's something going on and mm -hmm. so we had this owl arrive um, just in time for, for meditation so um, what's your interpretation of the significance of the owl thinking about Catherine Maltwood? 
Well, you know, I have a um, um, a bit of a what can I say? A bit of a reluctance to explain totems totally to other people. But if you, first of all, your own idea of the owl and what the owl means to you is primary. You know the word guru. G, you are you. Your inner wisdom will tell you best of all. I can give you pointers and clues as to what the owl means, as I've learned from my own way, but perhaps it means something slightly different to you. And that's what I always tell people when I'm doing workshops with totem animals, is that um, go within and find your own answers. But, you know, you can get clues on the way. It's just like interpreting dreams. There are universal symbols, but your dream language is your own. The symbols you bring up are your own. Okay, so well, we're coming up to our final break now, and so we'll we'll go to the break and we'll continue with our discussion afterwards. Okay, I haven't forgotten our awakening to conscious (laughs) co-creation. to the threshold of a dream and beyond. Seventh Wave Network. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the Seventh Wave Network. Can you define your talent in six words or less? Are you using your inner resource, intuition? Listening to Joyce Anderson of Conversations With Yourself will work your intuitive muscle to discover your divine skill. Each week, your host, Joyce Anderson, will give you practical exercises to jumpstart your intuition, to live in your talent. From sports to business to music to food, talent is everywhere. Join Joyce and her engaging guests to hear their how-to stories. Tune in to Conversations with Yourself, Thursday mornings at 9 a.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. And ignite your talent. Do you want to reach your highest potential in your personal and business life? Come and join our heart-centered community with Peter Tung and Sherry Chase. Embrace love, abundance, integrity, and personal empowerment in a safe and sacred space for your awakening. Our intention is to lay the groundwork for you to advance your awareness efficiently, to be fully involved in the conscious co-creation of peace and prosperity on our beautiful planet. Go to MyHeartCenteredJourney.com for more information. Be extraordinary. Seventh Wave Network. Listening to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with Peter Tong. If you have a question for Peter or comment on this series, please send an email to descendingdove at gmail.com. That's descendingdove at gmail.com. Now back to our program.
Welcome back to Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation with your host, Peter Tung. I think I failed to mention the website for the uh, tele-seminar series beginning this evening and the free tele-event you can go back to, which is, of course, www.myheartcenteredjourney.com, which you can just click on the banner on the host page and you can get into all of the information about the free tele-event and the tele-seminar series. Beginning this evening, the seven-week series, Journeying Through the Chakras, Love, Laugh, and Learn. Cecilia, I, let's, let's go back to the owl, just as we were interrupted by the break there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, just going to mention something, a journey through the, through the chakras. If you go to our website, earthskywalk.com, we have a chakra garden, and you can have a virtual tour of it online. Oh, okay, back to, okay, back to the owl. Well, we were just sort of talking about that in the break, and um, I think fundamentally you, you, it, it, it's got so much myth and mystery surrounding it, the owl. There's no bird that has so much around it, and many perceptions, I think, of it are quite confused, but I would say it, it's magic, and it's, it's um, higher wisdom, and it's got silent wisdom, and then the other one I like is seeing with night eyes, so you're looking into the darkness, you can see through the darkness and in the darkness of course as Carl Jung would say is where the treasure lies so it's always because it's a nocturnal bird it's always been very mysterious to us but it's also a symbol of the feminine so that it's connecting with uh, Catherine Maltwood is, um, is wonderful because it's a feminine it's the moon it's night and um, it's also believed to have um, huge healing powers as well certainly in Native American tradition clairvoyance, you know, seeing through the dark, astral projection, all of these things um, are associated with it. But, Thank you. you know, to, to, get, to get back to this landscape thing, you know, um, um, we mentioned landscape zodiacs in passing, and this is something in England which is worth Googling if you um, have a chance. So landscape zodiacs are effigies in the landscape of a zodiac, the most famous one being the Glastonbury zodiac, where the figures of each, of each of the zodiac figures are delineated naturally by field boundaries, trackways, the curves of a river, of a stream, and man-built dikes to some degree, you know, walls and so on. And these are great effigies in the landscape that have now been revealing themselves to us for about the last hundred years, but who knows how long they've been there. There's a lot, of, to do, a lot to do with causality there, and we could get into quantum theory if you wish, but we won't at this moment. <laughs> and, um, but it's really something um, that's in our English tradition, and it, maybe it's elsewhere in the land, and it's within our British tradition, I should say, but how far back it goes, I can't, I can't say. There's a lot of work being done on it. So, um, but I think for anybody, if you, I, don't, I, I can't speak for America in this in this instance, because you've got your indigenous people and their sacred landscape, which the Europeans are still fairly new come to. And so there's a new relationship being formed with the land of North America and how that unfolds, we'll see. You know, but the consciousness is the important thing. And as for individuals, to go out into the countryside, into the landscape, is probably the most important thing you could do for yourself at this, at this point coming up to this great change in consciousness, because we are of the earth. This is our home in this life, and this is what we are composed of, and this is where we've come to experience three-dimensionality. 
This is our 3D reality that we've come here to experience, and we are part of this planet, as this planet is part of us. And so for people to go out into the landscape and sit and meditate, sit on a rock, sit by a waterfall, and listen. Ask for assistance. Ask for help. Ask for guidance. Go out under the night sky. Look up at those stars. Don't worry about the constellations and the patterns. Just look up at the patterning as it is. And think about your ancestors who looked at those same stars for, for, for millennia. They've been looking up at those stars. Look at the moon. Go out and bathe in the moon's rays. All of these things will affect you profoundly. And on top of that, if you ask for guidance, you'll be given. But it won't happen until you start asking. And I think that's probably about the most important thing anybody could do for themselves, as I had to learn for myself. And I still have to remember to do it today. You know, you, do, you suddenly get into a situation, you get all fraught. And then think, oh, my God, yes, I've got, I've got this guardian animal, my, my spirit guide with me. My, you know, he's, he's, my, he's my guardian. He's my protector. He's my helper. He's my friend and companion. I can ask him for help. And so now, before I take on some new endeavor, I always make sure I ask my totem for help. You know, other ones attach themselves to you sometimes for a while, and sometimes just for a journey, sometimes just to get you through something. But honor these creatures and, 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 and con, you know, commune with them, is what I'm basically trying to say, I think, is to have a relationship with, your, with the animals that you find yourself attracted to. If you love horses, perhaps the horse is your totem. This is the person, this is the being to t- turn to, you know, at times when you need assistance or comfort or help, you know. Um. And presumably with the landscape zodiac, then you would use the, um, the symbol of that particular uh, sign to mm-hmm. represent some archetypal energies of that sign to work with when you're in that particular structure. Yes, we do this wonderful workshop called the Alchemical Journey, which can be looked up online, alchemicaljourney.com, and you can check that out there. Thank you. Well, Celia, we've come to the end of the show very, very quickly, and I'm sorry to cut you off so quickly, uh, but thank you so much for today. It's been a wonderful show. Thank you. It's been a pleasure, and greetings from England. (laughs) Thank you. Next week, my guest is Robert Bavar, and we're going to be talking about The Master Game, which is his latest book, a rewrite with new information from Talisman, uh, which will be a really fascinating show, and I hope you'll join me for that. It's Peter Tung for Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation. Have a great week. found this week's show to be enlightening and inspiring. Please join host Peter Tong for another edition of Awakening to Conscious Creation next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network.